Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, School Law Today, uh, a program that discusses school law issues with uh, attor- school board attorneys throughout the state. Uh, today's guest is Jonathan Bush, and I'll introduce him in, uh, formally later. Uh, and we'll be talking about the navigating the referendum process from his perspective and his background. Uh, Jonathan has been uh, is uh, the partner of uh, the, jo- the Bush Law Group. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate you having me. Uh, just tell us a little bit about how long you've been in school law and a little bit about your firm before we get started on the the referendum po- process. Absolutely. So I've been practicing uh, school law for uh, most of my legal career. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty great to be able to uh, practice law but do so uh, within the constraints of the schools. Uh, you know, if you have any interest in education, the idea of doing, uh, uh, you know, school law is, is really, um, you know, it's really the perfect job, in my opinion. Okay, the, John, uh, the firm, Jonathan. yeah, sure. Yeah, go, keep going. Yeah, sure. So, so the firm, the firm was the firm was founded in 2014. Um, a couple guys and I started the Bush Law Group, um, and we started with, uh, you know, one uh, seven seven clients uh, in one county, and we're up to 19 now in 10 counties. We're as far north as uh, is is you know High Point Regional. Up in Sussex County, as far south as Commercial Township, down in in Cumberland County. So we're really far and wide across the state of New Jersey, and we're doing some really interesting uh, work with uh, school boards in urban, suburban, um, uh, you know, areas, uh, and 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 fascinating to see the way that these issues play out um, in in various communities. Of course, the issue that we're talking about today is is referenda and how boards respond to referenda and what school districts can do to uh, keep themselves out of trouble, if you will. Okay. Uh, before uh, before we get into the role of the board once they decide to do that, uh, and they don't come to the decision of doing a, a bond referendum lightly. It's usually something that's decided with over the course of many discussions. Uh, is there any advice you would give to a, a, a school board or school district uh, before they make decision uh, from your perspective? So, so it's a great question. Uh, you know, typically speaking, uh, school districts rely on both their general counsel and their bond counsel uh, for handling referenda, uh, referendum projects. You know, the, the bond counsel really helps a school district uh, put together a plan that is feasible. You typically would work if it's a capital project, for example, as most of these are. You would work with your uh, local architect, um, and uh, you also, you know, put together engineers and you put together a plan. That front-end work, like you referred to earlier, can be time-consuming and uh, process-oriented. But uh, once you have presented a plan, the general counsel is is really important to. Uh, consult with because you need to be able to get a sense from them as to what you can and what you shouldn't do because there really are uh, a lot of rules that come into play and a lot of concerns uh, under certain circumstances that um, may jeopardize a board's interest. Uh, 
Yeah. Now the board has uh, decides usually through a uh, through a vote that they want to place this on the ballot. Uh, that action in and of itself kind of shows a support for the project. Uh, you wouldn't put that on there if you weren't supporting the project. But um, during the education of the voters, uh, they kind of this goes back to when we had a lot of ballot when we had to pass the budgets a lot. They have to remain neutral. And what does neutral mean in educating the voters? Well, before getting into that, let me just say in your question, I have confronted and seen board members who uh, may be opposed to uh, their own referendum. So it's interesting because, like you said, the board is voting on a question, but there isn't supposed to be. And again, it, it may fly in the face of all that is practical, uh, at least in most places, but in more uh, unconventional circumstances, there are board members who oppose a referendum. Uh, typically, they wouldn't put it on the ballot, but there could be a situation where uh, a ballot question is presented and, uh, you know, there's some controversy uh, associated with it. So what, what, we, what we suggest um, oftentimes is, is, you know, is, is keeping the language neutral. You ask, what does neutral mean? you know, don't take a position. The theory and the law behind it is that if the board is, is funding an election, it shouldn't be taking a position on the election. So some people listening to this will say, well, how the heck can we take a, not take a position on something that we're presenting? Well, informational campaigns, informational campaigns where you describe the amount of money um, that's going to be proposed, uh, what the project means, the impact it would have on the district. Sometimes we're, we're walking a fine line, but basically speaking, so long as you're not specifically asking people to vote yes, or in some cases, rare, but some cases, vote no, uh, then, you've, you've, then you've done your job. You've remained neutral. Uh, just a, a piece of advice we usually give is you try to get it, hopefully the referendum, if you really believe in it, you have all the board members on board, but you don't want to try to probably go into a referendum with a 4-3 vote uh, because I think that would be a difficult uh, message for your community. Um, and just a Agreed. And, 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 the, and the poll – yeah, well, excuse me, just, uh, real quick, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but there, it, it is a very complicated – political process, and each community is so different, right? I mean, we see that across the state and the districts we represent. You know, although we are lawyers and we give legal advice, you sometimes observe the politics that, that, that occur in, uh, in, in, in some places. In some communities, the boards are really their own units and separate. In other communities, the boards are more tied to the township uh, or municipal, I should say, dynamic. And so, Th those factors all play into at the end of the day whether or not a uh, referendum passes. Now, when you say the board member, uh, let's get into what a board members and boards can do. But this is tied, uh, particularly for the board, is that they cannot be expending this neutral campaign is because they're expending district resources. Is that the, the right. basis for it? That yeah. Let yeah, let, let's let's be let's be really clear. Just because the board of education, and I, and I say board of education, I'm speaking of the, the legal entity of a board of education. Just because a board of education can't uh, publicly, uh, as a, as a board act, take a a position on a referendum, does not mean that board members individually 
may not take a position. In fact, board members often do effectively and are some of the best advocates um, you know, for passage of a referendum. And so one of the, one of the things that, that we have seen is that board members ask questions like, what can I do? What, what, what am I able to, um, to participate in as a means of helping a referendum pass? Um, you know, because the first thought they have is that their hands are tied. Their hands are not tied, Ray. I mean, they, they, they can't speak um, from the microphone uh, and encourage as a encourage a, a yes vote um, in their capacity as a board member f- during official time, like you said, using district resources. But they they can speak and say that they're personally for the referendum. Uh, they can even probably do so uh, from a microphone at a board meeting, so long as they say it's their own opinion and not the opinion necessarily uh, of of the board. Um, you know, we we've said and told board members they can put up lawn signs, for example. Um, assuming that there are lawn signs in a particular campaign, which we've seen, you know, a vote yes sign or a vote no sign. Uh, They can distribute pamphlets. You know, they can go door to door. Uh, They have that First Amendment right to do that. Just because they're a member of the board does not strip them of that right. Uh, They can, although there's been no uh, case law on this, they they can donate to uh, a campaign. And, And I'll talk to you about that. Uh, maybe a little later, but some districts have chosen to form what are called uh, political committees, not not PACs, but political committees, mm-hmm. which are similar to similar to candidate committees in the context of New Jersey's Election Law Enforcement Commission, where you create a candidate committee for the purpose of running for office. Groups of people in a particular community can form a political committee for the purpose of supporting or opposing a, a, a referendum question. So, the, you know, those, those, that's how you often end up with the yes or no signs. You have a political committee and a paid-for line at the bottom of the sign, just like you would if you were running your own mm-hmm. campaign for public office. They can donate funds to that. Um, letters to the editor, you know, in certain communities, and not just letters to the editor, could be, um, you know, le- letters to a, or posts on a blog. In some communities, there are, there are uh, particular... Uh, you know, uh, uh, media uh, entities that are highly effective, uh, and uh, a local blog where people uh, that people read frequently. Or look, let's take it to social media, social media posts, uh, websites that um, you know relate to particular communities. You can post on all of those. Those are just like letters to the editor in the more traditional and print context. But you have to say. Uh, that your writing uh, is is you individually, and that um, is from you individually, and that you're not speaking as a member of the board, and that relates to a to an older uh, school ethics decision with respect to letters to the editor. Right, and uh, before we get on to my next question, if anyone has a question, they can type it in the chat room. You can log in to the chat room. Uh, you just have to register with uh, Blog Talk Radio, or you can call uh, w- uh, one. Three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and just press one and Mike is working our um, switchboard and he'll get the question up to me and uh, your name and everything else. Um, just going back to yours uh, uh, when you were talking about the the social media and writing stuff, uh, letters to the editor, you, and you put the disclaimer that you are not a you're speaking for yourself as an individual, not as a board member. That's correct, right? right. That yeah, absolutely. Now, it's so important because yeah, go ahead. And so, a lot of these laws that we 
the what the our governing board's role here is comes from the school ethics commission's rulings. Is that yeah, correct. correct. It, it comes it comes from the school ethics commission ruling. And again, there are two important decisions I think to note. Um, and in fact, I, you know, I'm going to plug another school board uh, publication if I if I can during this conversation. In the most recent School Leader magazine, I think it's the January February 2017 edition. Um, Doug Silvestro from my office and I um, authored uh, a, basically a written version of the subject of this podcast, which is called How to successfully navigate your board through the referendum po- uh, process. I think it begins on, on page 12, and I, I, I outline and describe um, some of the decisions uh, of the School Ethics Commission that are uh, most helpful. There's no specific decision on uh, a board member's, uh, you know, a board's you know, involvement in a referendum, except for one that involves two current board members who were opposed to a referendum, and it addressed uh, the, the essential question, I guess, is uh, do you have a right to oppose uh, the, the Board of Education's um, uh, re- you know, uh, referendum? Uh, and the answer was, of course they do. They have a right just like anybody has a right to support the referendum. Right. And I, I guess as we move through this, when we start talking about what a board member can and cannot do in support of a referendum, it, the reverse holds true. For the opposite, if they oppose, right. they're the one board member who opposes it. They can still write the letters. They can still post on uh, social media. They can do those same things, just in opposition to the the referendum. If they're the lone dissent, dissenting vote. And, you know, the mindset, Ray, for a board member in a district that is presenting a referendum to the voters should be: we are presenting this referendum to the voters. Here is what it would do if it passed. Here's what it would do if it failed. This is a proposed plan. Let us know if you support it or not by going to vote. Please vote. It's important to vote. That's about the limit you can say in your official capacity. Again, you can do lawn signs. You can contribute. You can do all those other things. Some of the things that you have to be particularly careful about, again, is, is claiming to speak on the board's behalf without the authorization to do so. Uh, you really, really cannot. And this is important because it could potentially carry other concerns. But, uh, you know, and I, I say concerns, boards have to be very careful about sp- potentially spending district resources to support or oppose. And usually the context that we're concerned about most would be a district using district resources to support a referendum. For example, telephone lines. You know, you may not pay any additional money to make outgoing calls, but the fact that you could potentially be using a telephone in your district, and again, this sounds, this sounds fickle, but it could be an issue. If you're using your telephone to make phone calls to encourage people to vote yes, that's a problem. You can't do that. If you're using a district email because you're a district employee, let's, let's say, or a board member and you have a district address and you're sending out emails encouraging people to vote yes, that's a problem potentially. Again, you're allowed to express your opinion, but you can't be using district resources to support a position one way or the other. Um, the other issue we see with board members sometimes 
is sharing information that's not otherwise uh, available to the public. And you know, if you have information about the the referendum that's um, not public information, and I mean something that's subject to, say, attorney-client advice, something your bond counsel told you, or something your general counsel told you, and you go out and you um, describe that. That's you know, that, uh, as a way of either undermining or supporting the referendum. That's um, that's a potential concern. Um, and and the biggest issue we see uh, is let's get back to that disclaimer for a second, Ray. And that's writing an opinion on either Twitter or Facebook or. Uh, you know, a blog or a letter to the editor without the disclaimer language, according to the School Ethics Act, is a specific violation of the uh, of the rules of ethics that all board members are subject to in the state of New Jersey. Okay, uh, I have a caller. Uh, Jay, you have a couple of questions. Uh, do you want to get uh, on the, the uh, on uh, on the bidding process? <clears throat> Hi. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just sure. had a question. Going through the process, um, if you were initially in the stages of, you know, a capital project, you know, new construction or, or something along those lines, and um, you're working with an engineer and an in, in architect firm, would it be wise to get more than one different, you know, uh, firm or company to use for proposals uh, for an initial estimated costs that ultimately are going to be what's on the ballot? Um, is this something that happens in the past, or is that something that you would recommend doing? Yeah, so so that's a great question, and I have seen that. I saw that a couple of years ago in a district that I've been working in for years. We, um, you know, you, you have you have proposals from architects because look, you don't you're not you're not supposed to do this often, right? It's supposed to be a once in a while task, a once in a while activity. Um, it's how you maintain your credibility with voters. So when you do it, you got to make sure that you do it, um, you know, with 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 every bit of effort and every thought uh, considered. So when you're asking about, you know, architects and engineers, look, all professionals will come to this uh, with different idea. And so I think asking for the proposals um, is a way for you to be able to tell your public. Uh, and again, this is. From an informational standpoint, this would be okay, uh, and even from you know an advocacy standpoint, where you're wearing your advocacy hat, which is again not in your official capacity as a board member, but you really want to be able to say that you considered everything, and that the reason that you came up with the particular approach that you're presenting is X, Y, and Z, and that other plans may have you know presented A, B, and C, but X, Y, and Z was better because you know for whatever reason. So. I think it's essential that you get proposals. Uh, you know, I know that uh, you know it, it can be difficult, especially in a place where an architect or an engineer has been for years. You know, you have your district architect or your district right. engineer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that some fresh ideas aren't uh, important, and uh, it's something that you know the district has to carefully, you know, care, carefully consider. So, it, it, it's 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 a good idea to answer your question. Great. Thanks for taking the call. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, that's kind of the the pol I think when you go forward with a referendum, your public really wants to know that you kind of went through everything, all the steps, and that you covered all your bases. And and this is the proposal uh, before that. You know, you're asking, that you've Ray, you're, asked all those questions. And Ray, you're asking your public for millions of dollars that the board wouldn't otherwise have the authority to spend. In doing so, how could you do it? Without telling them that you did, that you turned every rock over and made sure that you know you, you you did the best for them in presenting it and that you saved them as much money as possible. 
Now, I, I just want to switch gears a little bit, and, and this will hold for both a board member who might support or oppose. Uh, there's a lot of people involved in the community, uh, and sometimes, uh, oftentimes, uh, if a district has a referendum, the, the, the superintendent, the business administrator, or the, some of the board members may go to organizations like the, the parent groups, the PTA. Are there any restrictions in that area if, a, say, the board president and the superintendent want to go to PTA meetings and talk to the parents about the proposal? Are there any restrictions that they have? Uh, you know, again, uh, they can go and explain their person. So they can certainly provide informational campaigns. And, and, and let, me, let me also say that we have seen districts print flyers that are uh, informational in nature, and um, you know they 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 are really um, you know they're they're designed in a way that some people would suggest uh, you know uh, advocate for passage. But again, if the language doesn't specifically advocate for passage, the informational aspect is encouraged. It really is, um, as long as it's done within reason. And this, I think the school accountability uh, regulations speak to that to some degree. I'm not going to get into that now, but uh, informational informational aspects of of the campaign in general I don't mean campaign like a, you know vote yes or no I mean the district's campaign to educate are essential so part of that I think is to go around to community organizations PTOs are, are a huge part of most communities um, school district you know political activism and, 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 and are a great resource for getting people to vote so yes I would highly encourage a superintendent and say a board president or anyone else uh, to go and at least in, uh, advocate from an informational standpoint the there's nothing restricting a superintendent uh, or a board uh, board member from going to one of those meetings and advocating for passage as well so long as they follow the rules that we talked about earlier and they're doing in their personal capacity and they let everyone know that and uh your parent organizations i guess in uh your uh education the teachers union they can advocate as much as they want for uh this proposal for the most they can part. and they do ray they can and they do ray you know another piece of this that i've seen that can be very successful are you know something called project labor agreements and and project labor agreements are agreements by boards of education to do everything they possibly can to use organized labor when when push comes to shove if the project passes and they're building something um you know there there are the criticism of the potential for project labor agreements is it almost always increase the costs i don't necessarily agree with that and i've had conversations with labor leaders over the year over the years that have suggested otherwise um but you know that's that's a perception of people that sometimes has to be overcome that being said if a district uh, adopts a project labor agreement where they're basically uh, agreeing to uh, go forward with, uh, you know, organized labor uh, when they construct whatever their project is, a new school or an addition to the school or multiple additions or multiple, uh, you know, construct uh, schools, um, it, you know, what you find is an incredible, obviously, incredible amount of support from organized labor from from unions in New Jersey because obviously if this thing passes there's an opportunity for a lot of jobs um, mm -hmm. and so you, you do see a correlation between the the passage of again what are called project labor agreements and the assistance in passing a referendum 
with uh, uh, with the assistance of you know of organized labor, and, and you know I, I can't say enough about uh, about that in my experience over the years. And in, in, in most districts, the the teachers and the staff support something like this because it usually improves their work environment. Uh, well, the NJEA the, the NJEA has done a great job at um, at, at at putting um, support and even lots of money in some cases into campaigns to support referenda because again, you know, uh, if you're going to build new schools, likely you're going to need more teachers and more staff and. Uh, and and beyond that, like you said, Ray, it, it, it's 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 you know again depends on the proposal, but typically speaking, it will uh, enhance the environment in which these people work. So of course they're they're trying to support uh, support education. Um, going back to like if a and I, I I've heard of board members doing this because going back to your original, sometimes they feel hesitant in that 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 neutral thing as a whole board they take personally that they can't do anything as an individual uh so if they're speaking just say it's a board member maybe they're a parent or a member of the PTA and they feel they're asked by the the PTA members are you supporting this they can just blurt out yes I'm supporting it personally uh I think it's a good project I'm speaking as a board uh, as a as an individual uh, in this case, because I've heard a board member say, well, I can't talk to that. And that kind of can really hurt your potential passage of it if the board member is not individually speaking on behalf of that. Right. So, so, and that's why you know, a lot of board members are not, a lot of board members are, you know, they're elected officials, but they're not politicians, right? So they do their best to, to, to uh, stay out of trouble and, uh, and speak from the heart. And that's important. Um, with what you're describing, because yes, people are become so afraid of what you can't do, and this is one of the issues we face as lawyers in general. I mean, in my firm, we, you know, we try to give people practical advice because there's so much about what you can't do that they forget about everything they can. And in this case, really, you can almost do every, you can do almost everything else that anyone who's not a board member uh, can do, except when you're sitting at that dais. And you're writing, or you're mm-hmm. writing a letter to the editor. That's really the only time, or you know, on a blog or Facebook. When I say letter to the editor, I'm really speaking about all the formats because these days are far more than just a letter to the newspaper, right? So, um, but you really can do everything that everyone else can do, except when you're at the dais, uh, at the board meeting, right? Or speaking somehow in your official capacity as a board member. If you're, if there's you know, again, there's even a, probably a way for you. Um, although this question has not been addressed directly by the School Ethics Commission, but to speak from your chair as a board member to say what you personally believe. Mm-hmm. So even when you're at the dais, you can do it. But again, it has to be made clear. As long as you say this and then say, but this is my personal opinion and as a board member, I'm not representing the, you know, the board in, in this position, that is, you know, that's essential. So uh, my advice is there's a lot more you can do than you can, and, and don't worry so much. And say we're, we're be very positive thinkers here, and you, your district passes the referendum. Uh, are there any restrictions? Can they? It's not a blank check that the, the money that the, the referendum say it's a million dollars for replacing air conditioning and windows. Say it comes under that the bid process, and they have extra money. Can they just spend that money however they want? No, absolutely not, and that's a big issue. You know, again, talk about trust of of uh, of board members and the trust of the public who who elect them and the and the project that's being presented. You know, Ray, you, have, you think about it. Um, you're asking them for a specific dollar amount to do something very specific. You cannot 
do anything else than that which you said you would do in the proposed question. And even if you said something during an informational campaign, but it's not in the actual question, you have to stick to what it is that you presented. And that's, that's something that you and your bond council have to really discuss. If you're a board member, you have to discuss with your bond council because if there's something that you think should be in there but it's not, and you're still within the deadline to present the Department of Education and your you know, local board of elections, then you really have to make sure that, that that's in there because um, you can't educate the public on something that you know, they're not voting on. Uh, and again, the money certainly can't go to just whatever they want, air conditioning, windows, um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's important. I'll tell you one other quick piece, and that is uh, one of our districts recently had a devastating fire um, mm-hmm. to one of its schools and as a result had to construct an entirely new school building but was unable to find uh, the resources, uh, obviously, without a referendum to construct the new school. Part of it was because they were in the process of arguing with their insurance uh, with their insurance carrier as to how much money was owed. But they needed to start the project knowing they'd get insurance money later, but they had no authorization to do so from the Department of Education until such time as they had money that was guaranteed to them in some way. So they went out to referendum for the amount of the school, but at some point got the money they needed from the insurance company, and as a result did not have to pay one dollar uh, of, uh, wow. of the referendum. So the voters basically gave them permission, if necessary, to spend this money. But once they got the money secured from the insurance carrier, uh, they didn't have to spend one of those dollars. And, you know, again, uh, that is the type of thing that you could really do and hopefully gain the trust of your voters to understand that we're not just spending your money, we're doing so responsibly. And when, not, when necessary, we don't spend it at all. So basically, the vote served to allow them to begin construction of this brand new school, which I'm happy to say I'm proud to have been a part of, just opened uh, this past January. Wow. Okay, we've we've come to the end of it. So uh, your basic uh, uh, message there is that while you have limited uh, uh, ability to promote it as a board, as an individual, you have uh, quite a bit of latitude in promoting a, a referendum. Absolutely, and thanks so much for okay. having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Thanks, and, and that's Jonathan Bush with the, the Bush Law Group in uh, Middlesex County. So uh, I thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, you can email me, and I'll pass them on to Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care. Thanks, Ray. Okay, bye now.